Well, again, if you have your Bible, turn with me to the Gospel of John in chapter 6. We're working our way through this Gospel, and we've been at it for several months now, and we have uh, many months to come, I trust, as long as the Lord tarries and, and allows me to keep studying here with you through the Gospel of John. We'll be here for some time. But we're simply working our way through the text of God's Word, and it is a good practice for us to do that, just a practice working your way through books of the Bible. In fact, I encourage you, uh, one of the reasons I do this and study through books of the Bible with you is I want you to learn how to read the Bible. This is a good reminder to you. Read books of the Bible. Don't just read verses. Uh, uh, Just reading verses can get you into trouble. You need whole books of the Bible. You need whole paragraphs of the Bible to help you understand what God wants you to understand. So, Uh, One of my methods for this madness is to encourage you to read your Bibles, uh, whole books at a time. If you can read a a book of the Bible in a sitting, that's wonderful. Uh, If you can read several chapters at a time, that's wonderful. Read through books of the Bible. But here we are now in chapter 6. We arrive here this morning and we come to chapter 6. And uh, when you look back at chapter 5 and you look at chapter 6, you realize we're in a totally different setting. So we go from chapter 5 to chapter 6 and we're in a totally different situation. In chapter 5, we ended with Jesus dealing with the Jewish religious leaders. But here we are now in chapter 6 and we move along today. And we're going to look at the first 14 verses of John chapter 6. So follow along in your copy of God's Word as I read. And I'm reading from the English Standard Version, beginning in Verse 1 of chapter 6, John's Gospel. After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias, and a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand, Lifting up his eyes then, and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread so that these people may uh, may eat? In verse 6, he said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, Two hundred denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? Jesus said, Have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. And verse 11 says, Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who has come into the world. So Jesus has just worked another miracle. We call it the feeding of the 5,000. 
Unfortunately, we're so familiar with this miracle that we're prone to not think much of it. You ever do that? As you're reading the Bible, you get to this account, and you go, oh, I'm familiar with this, and you read through it. You don't think deeply about it. You don't think carefully about it, necessarily. But Jesus had a purpose for fulfilling this miracle on this particular day with these particular people, and I don't want you to miss it. Of course, it's been said before that when God does one thing, He's doing ten things. I, I tend to think more like when God does one thing, He's doing a thousand things or a million things, uh, things that we may never uh, be able to account for this side of eternity. One day we'll see more clearly how God worked, and I think we'll be astounded at all that God was doing when we were seeing one thing. But as God does one thing, He's doing ten things, and that's true even here, uh, with these Jewish religious leaders seeking to put Jesus to death, we saw that at the end of chapter 5. He leaves Judea. Uh, his timetable would not be interrupted. Jesus was on mission. And so he moves on. There was a work for which the Father sent him that still needed to be accomplished, and Jesus was going to accomplish that work. These Jewish religious leaders were rejecting Jesus. They wanted to see him put to death. And we'll even see it here in chapter 6 that many other people continue to reject Jesus. Uh, with all the overwhelming evidence for Jesus being Christ, the Messiah, with his miracles, with his preaching of John uh, uh, and John the Baptist's witness about Jesus. Remember John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world and, and follow him, don't follow me. And with the word being preached by Jesus, and it's hard to understand how people could continue to hear the truths and see the evidence and still reject Jesus as their Savior, reject Him as Messiah. But then their rejection of Jesus is also a reminder to us often that we see in people who we might have an opportunity to tell about the Lord, uh, there is a darkness, there is a blindness of heart that is very heavy and very difficult to lift. And if we could figure out how to lift the darkness and the blindness from people's spiritual eyes, we would do it in an instant, wouldn't we? And yet we see evidence of this here. It's a powerful reminder of the darkness and hardness of the heart apart from the work of the Holy Spirit to open people's eyes spiritually. If you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, there was a moment when the Holy Spirit opened your eyes to see who Jesus is and believe in Him and be saved. And you ought to praise God for that. But we see that darkness here, that blindness. Here are all these people who see the evidence and yet they don't believe. So once again, we'll see more proof that Jesus is the Messiah here as we enter chapter 6. Again, we call this the feeding of the 5,000, but this was actually more like the feeding of the 15,000 since there were likely women and children here. You see men mentioned, 5,000 men took a seat, but there were likely women and children here in addition to this, uh, this 5,000 men who were noted in verse 10. So as verse 2 says, a large crowd, uh, it is an extremely large crowd. Have you ever been in a crowd of 15,000? Uh, I don't know where you would uh, be in a crowd like that. If you went to a, a sporting event or something like that, you would probably be in a crowd that large. That's an incredible uh, number of people, isn't it? And verse 2 says, a large crowd was now following Jesus around. Now, if we go from chapter 5 to chapter 6, and you hear that large crowd 
is following Jesus, you might wonder why Jesus is attracting such a large crowd, large crowd all of a sudden. Uh, in fact, it, it wasn't all of a sudden. And if you were to look at the timeline for the events of Jesus' ministry and how they align in the four Gospels, if you look at Matthew, Mark, and Luke also, including John, in the timeline of events, you begin to quickly discover that John's Gospel only touches on a few of the highlights of Jesus' ministry. Those highlights that John points to, they kind of serve his purpose for making it clear, showing us who Jesus is as the Messiah. And so things uh, can seem a little off, but but when you realize, uh, putting the timeline together from the other Gospels, that there was a period of time here between chapter 5 and chapter 6. When you come to verse 1 and it states that after this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, what we're seeing here is not an immediate transition uh, from one place to the next, but this was actually, there was probably 6 to 12 months of, of time between these accounts that John shows us in chapters 5 and chapter 6. So here we are several months later, and verse 3 says, Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Well, the other Gospels help us understand why Jesus and his disciples were there. First of all, as seen in Mark's Gospel, Jesus and his disciples had recently finished a busy period of ministry. Mark chapter 6 tells us that Jesus had sent the twelve out on preaching mission, and they had returned. We also learn from chapter 11 of Matthew's gospel that Jesus had gone on uh, to many cities, and he had been himself out preaching in many cities. And then also in Matthew's gospel, in chapter 14, we learn that they had recently received the news of John the Baptist's death. And so Jesus and the disciples need some rest. They need to gather and kind of regroup, and that's what they're doing. They need to to regroup, and they need to get their heads together, and the disciples needed a time. Jesus realized they needed a time of instruction with him. And so he's instructing them, and he's sitting down with them. But then there was the crowd. And according to Mark's gospel, Jesus and his disciples had traveled by boat across the Sea of Galilee. Well, the crowd didn't travel in a boat, so the Jesus and his disciples had a, a bit of a head start. The crowd traveling by foot from the surrounding areas, they had finally caught up with them and, and uh, interrupted their team meeting, right? <laughs> They're gathering together as Jesus and his disciples, and here's the crowd kind of interrupting their plans. Uh, you know, sadly, these folks weren't true followers of Jesus. When you realize this, they weren't, they weren't coming because they were believing in Jesus And how do we know that? Look at verse 2 again. Why was there a large crowd following Jesus? Verse 2 helps us understand that these weren't true believers in Jesus. Why did they come? It's because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. It had to be amazing. I mean, we we can't even imagine, can we, to, to, to be able to see someone healed by Jesus. It had to be amazing. And it had to, the, the word had to spread. And it did, obviously, because this large crowd comes and gathers to follow Jesus around. Unfortunately, they weren't following Jesus around because they believed that he was the Messiah. They wanted to be where he was because they saw his miracles. 
Or they heard from other people who saw his miracles. And they wanted to see more. They wanted to experience more miracles. Maybe they themselves wanted to experience healing. What's sad about this is that Jesus' miracles pointed clearly to who he is. They pointed clearly to who he was, Jesus, God in human flesh. But they didn't see his signs that way. The veil of darkness over their eyes, spiritual eyes, had not been lifted. They were not seeing Jesus in the light that others saw who truly believed in Jesus. They only saw his miracles for how they could benefit from them. They wanted to be nearby for his next miracle. Get close enough to Jesus and we might see his next miracle. Or we might benefit from his next miracle, they thought. And these great crowds, unfortunately, they're not the only ones with a lack of faith. We see it even in those who professed to be true followers of Jesus. We see it even in Jesus' disciples, and we can be like them at times. Look at the question Jesus poses to Philip in verse 5. Jesus says of Jesus, Lifting up his eyes then and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? Now we don't see it here in John's account, but we learn from the other three Gospels that the disciples had suggested that they send these people away into the nearby towns to fend for themselves. Uh, that's not in John's account here, but it is in the other Gospels. So the disciples are saying, let's just, you know, let's, let's just send them away. Uh, let's not deal with this. Uh, we couldn't possibly deal with this. Uh, send them to the other vi- villages and they'll find food for themselves. Since they were in this desolate place, they had no possible way to find enough food to feed this huge crowd in answer to Jesus' question, they, they're thinking, there's no possible way we could possibly feed these people. Or is there no possible way? Did Jesus need help? Did Jesus need help trying to figure out what to do here? Was he, was he stumped? Is that why he asked Philip this question in verse 5? Absolutely not, because uh, we see verse 6. No, Jesus didn't need help. He had other plans, didn't he? Look at verse 6 again. He said this to test him. He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Jesus is testing Philip and the other disciples. He's testing them too. He has a lesson for them. And... You and I need to realize this. We need to be settled over this, that any lessons that God gives us are perfect lessons and much needed. They needed this lesson. So do we. Do you realize that God still tests His children? you realize that today, that God still tests His children? And if you're a child of God, you can be grateful that He tests you and He still has lessons for you to learn. He wants you to grow spiritually by them. He doesn't want you to live this life shorthanded and without hope and without strength. So God, God tests His children. He wants you to grow spiritually by these lessons, by these tests. Listen to James 1, verses 2 through 4, which give us this powerful reminder when it says, Count it all joy, 
my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. That's the heart of God for you. God doesn't want you to be lacking and incomplete. He wants you to be Perfect, not necessarily sinless, that's not what that means, but he wants you to have everything you need to deal with every situation in life with all the strength that he will give you when you put your trust in him and take steps to obey his word. And so James can say, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. They, they don't surprise God. They might surprise you, but they're part of his plan. For you know that the testing of your faith produces. God intends to produce something in you when your faith is tested. And he wants you to grow and learn to be steadfast and strong in your faith, in your walk with him. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. It may be hard to do. It might be difficult in the moment when you're tested, when you're in the middle of a difficulty. It might be hard to do in the moment, but you should thank God for the difficult lessons that he teaches you. In the moment, it might be hard to thank God, but there should be a point in time when you realize God is there to help you and He helps you and you trust in Him and you ought to be able to wholeheartedly say, Lord, I wouldn't ask for that again, but thank you. Thank you for that hardship and trial because I see now what you are doing. Thank you for helping me. Thank you for helping me trust you more. Have you been, ever been able to do that? I can think of several times in my life when I look at situations and say later, oh, I don't, I don't ever want to go through that again, Lord, but thank you for taking me through that. They are for your present good, and they are for your future good. Well, Philip was perplexed by the question, and likely the other disciples were too. Look at Philip's response in verse 7. Philip answered him. He's kind of flabbergasted here. You can sense it. 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. What do you mean? How, what are we gonna, where are we going to do to feed these people? Uh, we need money. We would need a lot of money, and even that much money wouldn't be enough to give uh, enough food for people to get enough food for a meal. Uh, Philip quickly runs the numbers here in his head, and he knows that this would be a significant undertaking to buy enough food for this many people just for each of them to get a little bit to eat, not to mention getting enough for a satisfying meal. 200 denarii. Do you know how much that is? Uh, It's the equivalent of about eight months of wages for the common worker in that day. Eight months of wages. Not enough money to feed everyone uh, a fortifying meal, a a filling meal. You see how impossible the uh, situation was in his mind? Uh, can you see how impossible the situation was in the disciples' thinking? Uh, note something else, too. Philip is still thinking on a physical level. What's, uh, what's Philip not thinking about? He's not thinking about things on a spiritual plane. Remember back when the woman at the well didn't grasp what Jesus was offering when he spoke of living water? 
She's still looking at the well that she's standing at. She's still looking at the pot that she brought to gather water and to take back home. She's still thinking about the water that she can drink physically. But it's not just the woman at the well. It's not just Philip and the other disciples who aren't thinking like Jesus here. It's this large crowd. We've noted it already. This large crowd isn't thinking of spiritual things. They're following Jesus because of his miracles because they saw something exciting they saw something impressive or maybe they wanted to benefit from the miracles themselves and so they're following him for what they could get they're thinking only of the physical and we can see the same problem here in andrew's response look at verse 8 and verse 9 one of his disciples one of jesus disciples andrew simon peter's brother said to him "Um, there's a boy There's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? Andrew uh, points to the boy with his fish. I wonder how the boy, you ever think about how the little boy felt as they're pointing at his food? It's like, wait, my mama gave me this for my lunch. What do you, don't look at my lunch. Andrew wasn't suggesting here that they take this boy's food and try to feed this great crowd. In fact, he's suggesting something different he's uh, he's suggesting that in another way here that do you see how impossible this problem is i mean there's a boy with food but we couldn't possibly take what he has and feed everyone so this is this problem is impossible his suggestion was another way of pointing to the impossibility of solving this problem do you see how impossible this is in their minds in the disciples' minds, but as Jesus says, and this is something we ought to take to heart often, Matthew 19 and verse 26, Jesus says, with God, all things are possible. With God, all things are possible. At this point, Jesus says, as they're kind of flabbergasted and befuddled, Jesus says, perfect. (laughs) I've got you right where I want you. I've got you right where I want you. You realize how impossible this is. You ever get to that point in your life when you're looking at a situation and you're trying to figure out all the ways you could solve this problem and all of them you've eliminated? That's not possible. That's not possible. This isn't possible. And you finally say, God, this is impossible. I better pray. And God says, perfect. That's right where I want you. I want you to realize that this is impossible. But with God, nothing is impossible. Note, too, that Jesus knew that these great crowds lacked true faith in him. They knew why. uh, He knew why they were following him. He knew that they did not have true faith in him. And I think it's remarkable here that Jesus is still very compassionate toward them. He knows that their hearts aren't in the right place, but he still shows the compassion He's still compassionate toward their needs. So look at verse 10 and following. Jesus said, verse 10, Have the people sit down. He's going to work his plan. He has a plan. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. Again, men men and women and children, probably many, many more than 5,000. Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated so also the fish and much as much as they wanted do not miss that phrase as much as they wanted they had walked who knows how far 
you don't need to exert yourself too much to, to begin to realize you need food. You need sustenance. And here are these people, and they distributed the, the loaves and the fish, and they, they took the loaves, and when they had given thanks, he distributed to them, to those who were seated, so also the fish, and much as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, gather up the leftovers. <laughs> gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. And so they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. We could say here, you look at this text, and as a a believer with a Bible in your hands and in church on Sunday morning, you could look at this and say, oh, you of little faith. Oh, you of little faith. (laughs) You have Jesus in your midst. Oh, you of little faith. Why so little faith, disciples, we might say uh, what we should say is with God nothing is impossible (laughs) we need to be taught that we need to be convinced of that that as we look at our life and the hard hard situations that we deal with and we say this is impossible we need to correct ourselves and say but wait with God nothing is impossible the people ate their fill They had all the fish and bread they wanted. It doesn't say they got just what they needed. It says they had their fill. You ever eat your fill? Sometimes I go beyond fill. And I'm miserable when I do that. But they got their fill. They got more than they needed. They got everything they wanted. And not only that, Jesus had started with next to nothing in comparison. These fish and loaves, this boy's meal, the boy took home leftovers. (laughs) I'm guessing he did. Hey, Mom, look what I've got. It's like, you didn't eat your lunch. Oh, yes, I ate my lunch, and I've got more. Twelve baskets full of leftovers. Not only can Jesus provide for this need, But do you realize Jesus can provide for more than you need? He can provide for all of today's problems and the ones that you should not be worried about, about tomorrow's problems and those that come after. Not only can Jesus provide for this need, but he can provide for more than what's needed. This is clearly a miracle at the hands of Jesus. And there's no question here that Jesus is God in human flesh. Now at this point, they'll all believe, right? No. Notice the people still didn't see Jesus for who He was, God in human flesh. Look at verse 14 again. When the people saw the sign that He had done, they said, This is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. The people, they concluded rightly that Jesus was the fulfillment of prophecy, the prophecy of Moses. But as we'll see, 
and we're going to get to this next week, Lord willing, when we enter into verse 15. As we get to verse 15, we're going to see next time they really didn't understand what it meant that Jesus was the Messiah. What they were looking for, what they really wanted, was someone who would come and provide for all of their earthly needs. But Jesus had come to accomplish far more than that. You see, they, they were blinded spiritually. They were only looking at the here and now. What can we get if we follow Jesus and witness His miracles? Maybe we can find some personal benefit from following Him around. But they didn't believe in Him as the Messiah Jesus had come to accomplish far more than feeding this huge crowd. He did feed them. He took compassion on them. But He came to accomplish far more important things than just meeting their daily needs. And the same is true for you and me. The Lord is concerned about your daily needs. He's concerned about the trials and the troubles and the challenges that you face that seem impossible to solve. But He can deal with them and He wants you to trust Him as you walk with Him in obedience to His Word. Jesus had come to accomplish far more than simply healing people and and feeding people. The disciples, by their response to Jesus' question of finding food for the crowd, they admitted that they were inadequate to deal with the situation. This was totally out of their reach of ability to fulfill the problem and solve the problem. They responded like we often respond when faced with difficulty. You realize that? They responded, and we respond like they do. They responded like we often do. The first suggestion was, did you notice what their first thought was? Money. (laughs) Money. If we could just come up with enough money, but even even a lot of money, even eight months' worth of wages wouldn't be enough to feed all these people just a little bit. But their first thought was money. Do you ever do that? When you're faced with a hardship or a difficulty, and if I just had more money. If we could just come up with enough money, maybe that would solve this problem. It's tempting to think that, isn't it? about all kinds of problems. We're tempted to think that about all kinds of things. The answer is just a little bit more. That was their first thought. Then they suggested that maybe another person could help. Uh, They looked at this poor little boy with his meal, and they, they looked at this boy's small lunch, and we do that too. Oh, how often we think that just maybe if we knew the right people, if I knew the right person, or if I had the right connections, or if I just had the right relationships, everything would be better. All my problems would be solved. But what God is looking for in us is for the time when we will finally admit that we're totally inadequate to solve our problems. And we need Him to intervene. 
That's where we need to be. That's where God wants us to be. We need to come to the point where we, we realize that only if God intervenes will I have this need met. Only if God intervenes will I be saved from my sins. You see, that's where He wants us first. He first wants to save us from our sins. He doesn't want us to first think about our physical problems, although we often start there, don't we? But He came for more than our physical problems. He came for our, our greatest need, and that is our sin, which separates us from a righteous and holy God. Total surrender before the Lord. First, to save us from our sins. And then to help us here and now. Yes, God wants to help us here and now. And He does give us His Word and He gives us His Holy Spirit and He promises to provide for our real needs. And so we turn to Him in faith for forgiveness of sins. That's where He wants us. Realizing that we're totally helpless without His forgiveness of sins and His salvation. And then we keep turning to Him for help here and now for dealing with daily needs, daily challenges, daily difficulties. And through our troubles, as we trust in Him, He helps us with His Word and by His Spirit. There's a wonderful illustration here of God's provision. You know, God does nothing halfway. Jesus didn't only provide part of what they needed that day for that meal they had their fill they ate everything they wanted and there was more left over they couldn't have eaten more there was more to be taken away what a wonderful illustration this was a complete meal these people had their fill they had all they needed and more and this is a clear demonstration to jesus disciples and to the crowds and to us that nothing is impossible with God. Oh my, how often we sit around and wring our hands and we think all is lost. It couldn't get any worse and it cannot get better. But nothing is impossible with God. Not even your sin is too hard for God. Have you ever heard someone say, I would... Give my life to Christ, but he doesn't, he doesn't want me. There's no way he could forgive the sins that I've done. Wrong. Nothing is too hard for God. The situation I'm in is completely out of my hands. There's nothing that can solve this problem that I'm facing. Wrong. Nothing is too hard for God. Not even your sin is hard for God. He sent His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to Calvary to pay the price for your sins. Not even your difficult relationships are too hard for God. Not even your, the hard conversations that maybe, maybe you have to have with a, a loved one or maybe an employer or an employee, those aren't too hard for God. Not even your financial needs are too hard for God. Not even your health concerns are too hard for for God. Jesus ultimately came to be the sacrifice for sinners. Nothing is too hard for God. If God can deal with that, He can deal with everything else, and He does. 
Jesus gave himself willingly. It was the Father's will that he suffer and die for sinners. And that is why Jesus came. To deal with the greatest problem mankind has ever had and will ever have. Jesus came to be the sacrifice for sinners, and that is an incredible blessing from God. And all people who repent and believe have their sins forgiven. Not only that, you have more than forgiveness of sins. If your faith is in Jesus, you have new life. You have the gift of eternal life in the presence of your Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And if God can do that, if God can deal with your sin and my sin, then you can trust in Him. I can trust in Him. And I can trust Him with everything. That's what God calls us to do. Trust Him with every area of your life. Don't reserve areas of impossibility. Keeping them away from God. I I don't think there's any way that that could be solved. I, I just can't see a way. Trust God. Take steps to obey Him today. Do the next thing that God wants you to do. Walk in obedience to Him and trust Him. May God's Word today challenge you and strengthen you to grow in your faith. If you've trusted in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, may God's Word today challenge and strengthen your faith in Him. And if you're not a believer, may God's word today challenge you to surrender your life to him, to trust in him, to repent of your sins and believe in Jesus and be saved. And then for all of us, let's go on and trust him more. Trust him more and more. Ask God to help you grow in your faith. Make that a constant prayer. God, strengthen my faith that I will trust you in every circumstance I face. May God's word challenge and strengthen you to do that today and with every day he gives you.